My favorite thing about Bill Mitchell and When Dating Hurts podcast is the opportunity to share my voice and my story. I think that no matter where you are in listening about someone else's situation or sharing your own, that being within a community of listeners where it's safe to share a voice is invaluable. Thank you, Bill. The When Dating Hurts podcast continues to grow in popularity. The more who listen, the more who will know the realities of dating and domestic violence. In the meantime, the When Dating Hurts book in paperback, ebook, and audiobook is being purchased and read by concerned parents, teachers, victims and survivors, and of course, those who are currently dating. Education leads to empowerment. That way, if a potential abuser is targeting you or someone you care about, you will know how to detect it and how to break free and stay safe. Up next, another survivor story to illustrate how an innocent person can become manipulated and trapped in abusive relationships. Today in the When Dating Hurts podcast, we'll be speaking with Marie, who will talk about Jake, who she started dating when she was 16 years old. And he was 21 years old at that time. Her story has many of the classic warning signs that we talk about. And you will be pulling for her at different times in this discussion, hoping that she will break off her relationship with Jake. And that'll be the end of it. But it really wasn't the end of it. And this happens over and over and over. What also makes this conversation so valuable, years later she had an internship where she actually was in contact with high-risk domestic violence offenders. And that is very eye-opening. That is just filled with information, kind of takes you inside the minds of the people who do the abuse and find ways to justify what they do. Here is my conversation with Marie. So today we're going to be speaking with Marie on the When Dating Hurts podcast, and she has a story for us One of the things that excited me so much, Marie, about speaking with you today, by the way, hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. (laughs) It's really so good. Uh, I'm laughing a little bit because we chatted before we started hitting the button, so that's why. But one of the things that really I found interesting besides hearing your story was to also see where it led you into your um, college years and what you're doing now. So we'll come to that later. But what I'd really like you to do, if you don't mind, is to show us what was going on in your life before you met Jake, who we're going to hear about. Going back in time, I had a very good childhood. I grew up in a pretty wealthy suburb in Minnesota. The average income is like over $150,000 a year. So very affluent, not very diverse but I was involved in a lot of activities and things like that. Both my parents were present. I have an older sister. We didn't get along when I was younger, but once I got to college, we bonded and I wasn't as mean all the time. So that was definitely beneficial for our relationship. But around, I would say, late middle school and then my early high school years, I became truant within the school system. Really? You became? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's... that. Okay. I didn't see that coming. 
No one really does. So I was truant in the school. I haven't heard that word in decades. And now I've <laughs> met one. I've actually met a truant student. Could you can maybe, uh, you know, show us what that's all about? So I had depression and then I also struggled with being bullied at the end of my eighth grade year. During that time, it was just this group of really just terrible girls. They were very ruthless to me. They would yell names at me in the hallway. They would like slap my stuff out of my hands. And I had, when we were still friends, I had logged into my Twitter on one of these girls like iPads or whatever. And they were stalking my DMs while we were like in this fight to try to find like information about me and like private pictures and things like that. So it was almost like borderline sextortion because I had sent like a stupid picture that kind of showed like my butt in it to one of my friends because they were making fun of my body type. So and I didn't have internet access. so I couldn't use my cellular. So we're doing it over Twitter DMs back in like 2012. They took the picture of that, shared it around, basically tried to like blackmail me at the age of 12. So definitely got involved with like all this crazy stuff. They're blackmailing you at the age of 12, which is (laughs) interesting. What Mm -hmm. did they want from you so they would stop in the blackmailing? It was so weird because this girl didn't really have a strong motive. Her defense for doing all these things was that she felt I had replaced her within the friend group. So basically she was like, I want you to stop talking to all these people. I don't want to see you around. I don't want you to like do anything basically to show that I exist in the world. She was just very terrible. You know, she reached out later on in our years to just apologize. She never sent anything out because it would be like possession of minor pictures. That was probably good for her case, I guess. But there was nothing like money involved or anything like that. It was more an emotional based motive. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But that doesn't get me to the truant part. Truancy for me, I was struggling with being bullied and then depression as well. The school system I was in did not care about mental health issues. They did not care at all. They said, if you're physically well, there's no reason why you can't be in school. You can be here. We don't care that you're depressed. I had notes from psychiatrists. I had notes from psychologists. I had notes from my therapist. And they were like, this is not an acceptable reason to not be in school. I was still a good student. I had like straight Bs at the time. I've never been above and beyond getting 4.0 GPA or anything like that. But yeah, they just did not really care. I had to go to the truancy meetings. And I believe at the end of my graduating year from high school, I had missed over 150 individual periods of class. Is that like Guinness Book stuff? It might as well be. My mom was shocked. And then something that was kind of sick and twisted on my part is I learned how to like mock my mom's voice pretty well. So I would ruffle the phone and like put a little blanket over it. And then I would call out like using her name and her little speech that she would do every time like, hi, this is Marie's mom calling her out for blah, 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 data. Here we go. Here's her illness, whatever. And I got away with it for two and a half years, calling myself out directly to the admin. And then it was five days before my graduation ceremony from high school that they caught me doing it. So I had to serve detention the day before I graduated. But I got away with it for the longest time. So they caught you. Did that news get back to your mother that, uh, Mm -hmm. hey, guess what Marie's been up to? Yeah, it did. How'd that go down? How'd that look at home? For me, my mom kind of knew the background. She didn't know all of it, though, because part of the reason why I was calling myself was to go hang out with Jake. (laughs) 
the only part that she knew was that I was like depressed and she's very defensive over mental health. So she actually stood up for me against the admin and she was like, well, I wasn't around to call her out that day and all this stuff. So I actually never got in trouble for it, but I feel bad about that because she never knew the full truth of the situation at hand. You really uh, slipped through the cracks on that one, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So you mentioned Jake. So what's the deal? How old are you and how old is Jake when you and Jake start to become an item of some description? I was 16 years old. Jake was 21 years old. We met at college. I was visiting. I live about 30 minutes away from the city of Minneapolis. So you were 16 visiting college? That's kind of early, isn't it? It is. What was the point of being 16 and looking at college, considering the fact that in high school, you were barely passing high school in some ways, at least just from a discipline standpoint. Mm -hmm. But still, are you you checking out this college like you might want to go there one day? Is that the idea? No, for me, it was kind of like a bunch of kids from my school would go out to the U for like parties, social events, things like that. I never had a fake ID. That's the one thing I never did. But we'd go to like these house parties and stuff. And that's where I ended up meeting Jake. But he did know I was 16. I told him immediately because he was flirting with me and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm still in high school. I'm 16. And he said, that's okay. Yeah, I can see why he'd Mm -hmm. probably do that. Mm -hmm. Where did your mother think you were at that time that you were checking out the college guys? She knew that I was kind of plotting and scheming, but I hadn't gotten into any legal trouble of, you know, getting an alcohol minor, getting caught with drugs, anything like that. So I believe I had told her that I was going to my friend's Emma's house and she didn't have my location at that time. So she's like, okay, have fun. See you later. You had fun too. I did. I had a great time. So, okay. You meet up with Jake and I'm trying to figure this out. Would he be maybe, eh, he could be a senior Mm -hmm. by that point in time in college. Yep. Okay. And you're what, maybe a junior in high school? Yeah, I I was a junior because I was, I'm younger. I'm always on the cusp of being held back because of my age. So I was still a junior at the time. So you meet up with this guy and you take it from there. I met up with Jake. We met at this party, super fun. And then we exchanged Snapchat information. I didn't have his number at this time. So we started snapping back and forth. He was super sweet at the beginning as they always are you know, giving me all these compliments. And he was like, Hey, like I have an apartment down in Minneapolis. You should come and check it out. I went over to Jake's. He had a roommate at the time, but he wasn't home. Our first couple meetings were fine. They were dandy. You know, nothing crazy happened, nothing out of the ordinary. But the thing was, Jake was originally meant to play football for this college. He ended up tearing his ACL He was prescribed opioid medications, and that's kind of the downward fall of where his chemical dependency issues had started for him at that time. Well, the mere fact that he might play football in college, he's got to be a pretty big guy, right? He was huge. He probably weighs, I would say, 270 pounds, and he's over six feet tall. Yeah, he's a huge man. Was he a lineman, uh, potentially, in football? I believe so, yeah. And how tall were, were you at that time? I am taller. I am 5'9", so pretty decent sized. Yeah. Okay. The first couple of times you get together, it's just, let's call it enjoying each other's company, mm-hmm. some version of that. Where does it start to go, you know, and how soon does it start to go there? What happens next? I would say, honestly, started to go downhill probably two to three months into it. 
I was seeing Jake probably once a week by this time. He lived on the opposite side of the cities from me. He was in Minneapolis, and then he ended up moving back home to the western suburbs because he ended up failing out of college due to the drug addiction that he was facing at the time. And it was an interesting way to see it play out because I met him pretty much right after he had his surgery. So I was there for when the addiction started to progress and get more severe. Now, when he left college, did he leave because of his grades or or the addiction? I believe it was both. He said that he didn't have a passion for it anymore. He wanted to be a doctor. He wanted to get into medical school, but he was never a school person. He never had great merit. I It sounds really rude, but I don't think he ever would have made it into medical school. He was a football guy. He wasn't a big intellectual individual. He's not a philosopher, very black and white football, loves working out, drinking beer, classic thing. He said he failed out because he lost interest in the subjects, but I believe it was more related to the addiction and also the lack of care. Do you think that the the medical school doctor discussion, was that served up just to make you more attracted to him? Is that the whole idea? Looking back, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That was a mask he wanted to wear and you were coming along and you're buying it. Yeah. You're 16 or 17 and haven't been out in the world very much. And this guy's, this guy's got the act down at that point, right? Absolutely. After he had moved back in with his mother, his parents are divorced, which is a whole other messy thing. His parents were divorced later in their marriage after their kids were both adults, Jake included. So Jake had moved back in with his mom into his childhood home. His addiction was getting very bad at this point. I had been at his house, and this is when the first assault against me had happened. So I was at his house, and we were just hanging out in the den of his mom's house. He was like, hold on for a second. I have to like go back onto my phone really fast. And I was like, okay, what are you, you know, what are you doing? And he was like, no, I can't tell you. Just someone's coming to the house right now. Just stay here. Someone's going to the house. And so I was like, okay. And then it's just like the classic thing that you see. He goes out into the driveway, car pulls up, they exchange through the window, the car drives off and he goes back upstairs. So obviously I was naive at this point, but I wasn't dumb. So I knew it was a drug deal, especially knowing the things that had been going on in his life. He delayed coming back up into the den. So I'm assuming he used whatever drug that he had picked up. He used pretty much everything. So it's hard to tell. He had heroin a couple of times. His main thing was pills, narcotics, Xanax. That was a huge issue. And then when he wasn't doing more severe drugs, he was smoking weed all day, every day and drinking. So it was kind of like a mix of literally everything that you can do. So he delayed coming back up into the room and he looked a little off. He kind of looked a little like sweaty and stuff. And he was like, you know, we're like going to hook up like right now and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, like whatever. I feel kind of uncomfortable. So at this point I still hadn't had sex. I was only 16 still. So, and I knew deep down that like this guy wasn't it. I was raised very Catholic. So it was a very, you know, inner conflict thing for me. We, I ended up performing like oral sex on him and it was before I had a nasal surgery. So I couldn't breathe out of my nose properly. It was near like the end of it that he grabbed me by my neck and then just like pushed me all the way down. So he was hitting the back of my throat and he held me there 
probably for like five minutes and I was trying to struggle and pull back because I couldn't breathe and he did not care. And he finally had let me go after he had reached completion for a lack of a better term. And I had been trying to fight back the whole entire time because I could not breathe properly. And I sat up and I just said, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just needed to do that right now. And I had a backbone a little bit. So at this point, so I was like, I'm leaving. I'm like gone. And then I was driving back to my parents' house and he was texting me the whole time, blowing up my phone saying, I'm such a terrible guy. This will never happen again. I'm so sorry. The classic script that they all give. The classic stuff. Mm -hmm. The convincing apology. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it actually works. Yeah, and it did on me, unfortunately. So That's part of the classic story too. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the end for you and Jake. No. So how long would it be from that incident to you're back with him one-on-one, just the two of you in a similar setting? A week after that had happened, I was already back in his hands, basically. Then it went back to being good for a little while, kind of the best behavior act, everything like that. He had subleased from someone. So this is probably six months down the line now. He had subleased from someone back in Minneapolis. So I met him at his new apartment. And this was right around Thanksgiving. I can't remember the year. I believe it was 2018, 2019 at this point. I walk into the apartment. The door was unlocked. I had walked into his room and he's just looking so lethargic, just laying in his bed, very pale, very clammy looking. And I'm looking around because I'm like, what is going on? His whole entire bathroom was covered in vomit and it was just disgusting. And I was like, Jake, what have you been doing? And he's like, what I always do, I've just been using. Like, it's not that serious. Don't worry about it. It's not your problem, whatever. So I'm assuming by this point he was withdrawing off something based on the state he was in of lethargy looking kind of just not well at this point. And this was another big thing for me. So I was talking to him and he was like, we're going to have sex. Like this is going to be the time that we have sex. And I said, Jake, I'm not comfortable with this. You're under the influence. It feels wrong to be doing this. I don't want to do it. And that is when he grabbed me once again by my neck and started choking me because I wouldn't perform sexual favors at him. So at this point, I mean, he's actually like suffocating you. Okay. Yeah. So he had been choking me very hard and then he kind of just grabbed my neck, like reaffirmed his grip and then kind of threw me against the side of his bed. And thankfully I hit, you know, the mattress and not his thick wood footboard because that would have sucked. Um, And then I just was crying and crying and crying. And he was just like, "Ugh, I can't stand when girls cry in front of me. It's so sickening. I guess we have to worry about his feelings too in this. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Do you Mm -hmm. get up and go? You leave? I did leave that time. I left. I called all my friends and I was like, listen to what Jake just did. Like this was so messed up. And by this point, my friends were kind of fed up because when you're involved in these types of situations, you create excuses for them. You do whatever And you kind of sometimes tell half-truths or you make it sound not as bad as it actually is. 
but my friends by this point were still concerned for me but they were getting irritated because they're like we have told you that this man sucks he takes advantage of you he you know feeds these all these ideals about what you could be but then he beats you down at the same time you know telling that like no one will ever love you this that the other thing unless it's him so it was all those types of things and they were just getting irritated which I looking back I understand now because I'm like you know if you see someone in that situation you're just like please get out like what are you doing yeah they care about you yes Mm -hmm. they care a lot about you and they don't know enough to know that it's going to take a long haul to pull you out of that and that yeah. somewhere in their minds, they feel like I've told you, I've told you again and again. And it's like, you don't leave that guy. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And next thing you know, yeah. you're isolated. They're out of the picture. You've lost mm-hmm. all your life jackets with them. Mm-hmm. Anyone listening to this, our listeners, our audience would listen mm-hmm. to this and say, okay, let me see. What do we have? We have a guy who was in college, who's out of college, who is going down the wrong path rapidly who's using all these things, and yet you keep showing up at his doorstep for the next mm-hmm. part and for the next part. I will throw that question to you. What do mm-hmm. you see in this guy? Why are you going back? For me, I've always been a big romanticizer when it comes to men. I haven't had the best relationship with any of them, to be frank. And when I was picturing him in my mind, when I would think about Jake, I would think about how the first couple months were with him. And I was just thinking to myself, if he can come through his chemical dependency, he'll be back to his old self of, you know, so sweet, so caring, so complimentary to me. But that was never going to be the reality. Good answer. And that oftentimes is the answer. That you're mm-hmm. clinging to that first snapshot in your head and you and you want to pull that person out of it. And you don't realize that's probably not going to happen. And besides that, you are accidentally enabling that person to keep on the path that he's on, dragging you down with him. We turn yeah. the page and now what do we find with this man? So we'll turn the page. I got into college, shockingly, even though I was a truant, I got into every college I applied to, which was very funny to me because I wasn't serious about my education at the time, but I was always a good writer. So that definitely played part in my acceptance. So that was really great. I went all the way up north to college. I was almost at the Canadian border at my school. What school was that? University of North Dakota. So you go there. What does he do in the meantime? This is around the time, so I had just moved in to college. So I think I have my dates mixed up a little earlier, but I was in college August 2019 is when I started. I had moved into the dorms, and by this time I hadn't heard from Jake in about a week, which he had ghosted me and done that like thing before, but I kind of felt it in my gut that something deeper was wrong. I just wanted to, for the benefit of our audience, when you say he ghosted me, what, what does that look like? Because that's a term that a lot of people haven't heard. Yeah. So for ghosting to me, it's just basically going no contact, leaving your messages on red, not answering the phone. Sometimes it would include blocking me on things like Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. And then when I was convenient again for him, he would re-add me on everything and then give me the spiel of how he just needed space and this, that. and Just needed some time away. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's back in the story. Yeah, this time he had been gone and I just felt it in my stomach, something was wrong. And then this girl that I had met, you know, my first couple weeks in the school, she was like, let me do some digging. 
And the Minnesota court records are all online. They're all public. You cannot hide in the state of Minnesota. So she looks him up and he was in jail. Um, and he had gotten his first DUI because he was drinking, driving, and smoking marijuana. And in Minnesota, if you have a marijuana pen, which is the oil, marijuana oil inside of like a vape pen, an atomizer, if you will, it's an automatic felony because of the concentration. So he had gotten a DUI for driving under the influence, and then he also got a felony charge for having this marijuana on So he's in some big trouble in this one. Absolutely. He was in a lot of trouble. And at this point, I was kind of fed up with him. His mom was fed up with him. He didn't really have a way to go. He was constantly talking to me about his mom and just kind of like degrading her and just saying like, she doesn't get it. She'll never understand. And obviously, you know, at that time I was on his side, but hindsight is twenty twenty, and I can see that his mom was just trying to get his act together. Mm-hmm. So a part of this was he got convicted of both charges, the felony and the DUI. Part of his um, sentencing was that he had to go to rehabilitation programming. So instead of having to go to jail, he had to go sit in a inpatient rehabilitation program for chemical dependency for, I think it was like three months oh, he was in there. Boy, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. I thought you might say 30 days, but mm-hmm. three months. Wow. Mm-mm. That's that's a lot. Yeah. He was in there for a while and then he didn't have his phone during that time. So I kind of had a break from him while I was entering college, which I was sad about it. But then kind of as the days went by, I was meeting all these new people and new boys and new girls and everything. I was like, you know, maybe Jake isn't my end all be all. Maybe Jake isn't my end picture, but I still would think about him and, you know, wonder how he was doing and things like that. Then after he had gotten out of rehab, he joined AA, and then they follow, I believe it is a 12-step program. So part of their steps is you have to go back and apologize to people that you have wronged. And so I hadn't talked to Jake while he was in rehab. I hadn't talked to him while he had first gotten out because he hadn't reached out to me, and I just figured, oh, he must you know, still be in there. I was focused on schooling and everything like Mm -hmm. that. Then I get this text from him and he said, Hey, when are you home next? I would love to speak with you. And I was like, well, I'm in North Dakota, but I'll be home like this upcoming weekend or something. So I met up with him and we talked and it was an apology to a certain degree. He was like, you know, I apologize for the things I did to you while I was using drugs and that's not really who I am. But then he kind of looped it in there. He said, you shouldn't have let me do that to you. It was like, I was taking advantage of you and you let me. And if you would have kept letting me, I'm just going to keep doing it because you let me get away with everything that I did. That seems to be part and parcel with a lot of people who do these types of things. They have Mm -hmm. to blame shift over to the other person, at least to some degree. Did you buy that story? Half and half, because at this point, I hadn't really been in that constant contact with him like I had been in the past. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, proud of you for pursuing sobriety and that type of thing. But then also, I was just a little pissed off because I was like, how dare you blame your actions on me? Mm -hmm. Like, that doesn't make any sense to any capacity. Good for you. Yeah, that's a good thought you had. Yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. now what? Yeah, so kind of at that time, then it was fine for a while. Again, I was back up in school at this point. And then COVID ended up hitting. 
my spring semester, my freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. So I was back home from March of 2020 to August of 2020. During that time, of course, things kind of rekindled because I was like, oh, you know, I don't have, you know, anyone to hang out with when I'm home. All my friends were, you know, still in school. Some of my friends work in healthcare, so they're being really proactive about who they had contact with outside of work because of the risk. So I was like, I might as well hit up Jake because he apologized and he's so sweet and this and that. So we started hanging out. It was good for a while. And it was fine. We were almost like friendly. I'd almost describe us as friends at that time because we were no longer like hooking up and doing that type of thing. I just kind of go over there and hang out. But then the red flag started coming back because Jake, since he had gotten out of jail and finished his sentencing, everything like that, he was still on electronic home monitoring. So he had an ankle bracelet. That was a part of his sentencing. He had to do that for months. And then it was a very long period because he kept violating, but then they would give him another chance and things like that. So I went over there. He had his ankle bracelet on. He wasn't supposed to be drinking because usually in the state of Minnesota, once you get caught with a DUI and you're on probation, one of the conditions is usually you cannot consume alcohol or any other drugs. You have to submit to random urine analysis tests whenever they want. Mm -hmm. So I had gone over there one night and he was just absolutely obliterated like Mm. a whole bottle of rum by himself and just slurring his words and whenever he drinks he's just so rude he just makes all these like unnecessary comments and things like that and then he would start talking to me about all the other girls he's seeing and he would say things like oh she's so much prettier than you she has such a better body than you all these things and he was like he was like and he said um He was like, you know what? And I feel comfortable saying all these things because you'll stick around anyway. He was like, I can do better than you, but you're good enough. So I was like, okay, Jake. So that was really great. Yeah, what what an ego boost for you, huh? That's horrible, horrible, horrible. I guess he's stuck at home with the bracelet or whatever you call that thing, ankle bracelet. Is that what they call it, ankle bracelet? When he wasn't having that, was he working? I mean, what's this guy doing? He's out of college. No. Because he had failed out of school. He's just living off uh, mom's house? Basically. His mom is very wealthy, and she ended up getting remarried to an even wealthier man. And I believe it was part enabling, and then part we give him money, he leaves us alone. So they got him a townhouse, paid his mortgage for him, gave him like grocery stipend to do all this stuff. And he was basically just allowed to do whatever he wanted. And by this point, he was 25 and he was still having mom and dad pay all his bills, doing nothing. He had no career aspiration. He didn't know what he wanted to do. He had no job at all. While this is taking place, you're up to about four years with this guy at this point, if my math is any good. Are you making your older sister aware of any of this? Do you confer with her at all? Um, yes and no. There was kind of pockets where I would tell her things like Jake would say this to me, Jake would say that. I was over at Jake's house. And my sister is a very stereotypical, protective older sister. So I knew if I had told her certain things, she would take that into her own hands. And I was still somewhat into Jake, so I did not want her to do that. 
So she didn't know about things like him putting his hands around my neck, him pushing me down when I was performing oral sex on him and kind of choking me during that as well. Okay. She didn't know any of that. She just kind of knew more about the emotional and like the psychological manipulation that he had placed upon me. And I would tell her she had my location and she would see it. And she's like, why the F are you at Jake's house again? And I would just come up with some loser (laughs) response of like, you know, this, you know, another excuse. He's changed. He's different. He's working on it. Um, All those types of things. So just something to get her off your case. Exactly. Everything's fine. Everything's good over here. How are you doing? Yeah. So the next school year is going to be starting, right? We're heading for year two. and Next school year started and it was fully remote the whole entire year. But I had had already signed a apartment lease with my roommates that I lived with in my dorm. I had that kind of going on for me. I had to go back up to Grand Forks and I was just in this apartment all day, every day working on school. I didn't have a job up there. So I was just like sitting in my room all the time. And at this point, I had kind of started seeing another guy, and I started seeing similarities between him and Jake, but it was nowhere as severe. I noticed his alcoholism. I had kind of picked up on that. This gentleman was Drew. He was a student, so closer to my age at the college, and, you know, big drinker, big partier, and I kind of had left Jake in the back of my mind during this time and started to pursue this new relationship during my sophomore year of college. Mm -hmm. Once again, you know, it was really good, but I started to feel like a convenience. So he would go out to the bars and then he'd be like, can you come pick me up? And I'd be like, sure, because I never wanted anyone to drive while they were under the influence. So I'd go pick him up and sometimes I'd stay at his apartment. Sometimes he'd stay at mine. He would just kind of text me whenever it was convenient for him. He was like, I really like you and all these things. And then Drew also ended up ghosting me. And then it was about a week later that he posted a picture of him and his girlfriend. And I was like, oh, and the stars kind of aligned on that one. So I realized once again that I had just been on the back burner, a convenience piece and everything like that. Uh, That's Mm got to hurt. That's got to really hurt. Yeah. Sorry that you went through that. Yeah, it was uh, definitely unfortunate. Somehow I feel Jake's coming back again. You are right. The tide's going to bring Jake back in. Yeah, because I was like, well, if other men are going to treat me the same as Jake, I might as well just go back to Jake and suck it up because they're all just going to be like Jake. And I know Jake. I've been around Jake for four years at this point. This is the Jake you know versus the Jake you don't know. Exactly. This concludes part one of my conversation with Marie. Be looking for part two on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com.